Our scripture reading is the Song of Mary, which is in Luke 1, 46 through 56, or 55 actually. Let's listen to God's holy and infallible word. Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. That's our reading tonight. That's Mary's song. So, excuse me. So we're in the midst of of certainly this high point in Scripture uh, here in in Luke one, where there's uh, the telling of Jesus' birth, and in the midst of that special part of Scripture and that amazing event. There are these songs that burst out, right? I think you know that. There's a song by the angels who came to the shepherds in the fields on that first Christmas night. Then there's Mary's song, Zechariah's song, uh, before Jesus' birth, both of those. And then Simeon's song. And we're planning um, and looking at each one in the upcoming Sunday evening services. I say we, Pastor Matthew and I, I, this is... The last Sunday evening, I'm going to be with you for a little while. Hope to get back to it soon. But Mary's song tonight. And we call them songs, but they're really prayers. They're really prayers. Leading up to this prayer of Mary, Luke told us, if you remember, how this young woman was engaged uh, to, who was engaged to be married to Joseph and then we heard about how the angel Gabriel came to her to tell her that she'd be with child. She was greatly troubled at Gabriel's appearance and greeting, as uh, perhaps any of us might be if an, an angel showed up. And then to give that message that she was going to have a baby, she said, how can this be? Because, of course, she and Joseph were preserving that special act of marriage that could produce a baby, well, they were saving that for marriage. The angel explains things. Holy Spirit's going to be involved in a special way. Mary submits. I am the Lord's servant, she says. And then she goes, we read next that she goes to her cousin Elizabeth's house. She's also expecting Elizabeth. Um, It doesn't say it here, but I'm thinking maybe... The two pregnant ladies had popcorn, watched a chick flick. I know they certainly talked and made plans for their babies to be born. I think they they did what uh, two ladies who are expecting in all generations did. 
They talk together. And then it's after that that Mary launches into this song. It's known as the Magnificat, which is the first word of the song in the Vulgate. and That's the Latin translation of the Bible. Thinking just a little bit more about Mary, the Protestant Reformation in, in the 1500s, of course, judged that the Catholic Church made too much of Mary by, by praying to her, and in fact, by going so far as to call her sinless in order, they thought, for her to bear the sinless Jesus. They kind of said, well, maybe we, we, she's sinless. But then in, in, in past decades, more recent decades, Protestants have been saying, uh, well, Maybe the Reformation went too far on this. We, we, could, we, could, you know, we could make a little bit more of Mary. She was very special, one of a kind, the mother of Jesus. Uh, maybe we went too far, is what Protestants have been saying a little bit in recent decades. Maybe we could learn a bit from the Catholics on this. But I think at the Protestant Reformation, they knew what they were talking about. I think we have to be very careful here. No doubt, Mary was chosen for a special role to be the mother of Jesus. But everything the Bible tells us indicates that she is like us. An ordinary person of faith. Not in a special category. She's certainly not sinless. And this special song of hers, this prayer... I don't think it's so that we can contemplate Mary in, in somehow in the upper levels of heaven and say, wow, Mary is amazing. And, and she probably has special access to Jesus, so I should pray to her and I'll get special access to her son too. No. This prayer, there's nothing that would make us gaze at Mary. You, you just read it. It's not about Mary. It's for us to say, wow, God is amazing. Jesus coming is amazing. It's incredible that the Spirit placed the Son of God in her, this humble young woman, to grow, to be born. But it's just as incredible that the Spirit places Christ within each one of His humble children today so that we would fear Him. We magnify the Lord with Mary because miracle of miracles, Christ has come to dwell within us too, in our hearts. To magnify is to make bigger, and we make God bigger in our, you can't make God bigger, of course, he's as big as he's going to be, but from our perspective in our lives, when we focus on Him, praise Him, lift Him up for who He is and what He's done, and when we make ourselves smaller, not by focusing on ourselves too much. There are three ways we can magnify God because of Christ within us that I want to talk about a little bit tonight from the Song of Mary, from the prayer of Mary, this prayer of magnification. Three ways... We can magnify God because Christ is within us too. First, we magnify God because He is mighty. Verse 
49, the mighty one has done great things for me. Verse 51, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. And then some of those mighty deeds are described. We have reason to magnify the Lord because he is mighty. Mary, drawing on her knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures, as she does all throughout her prayer, talks about the arm of God. That's what we call an anthropomorphism in Scripture. It's attributing a human characteristic to God. He is spirit. God does not have a literal arm. But the Bible says this here and in other places in the Old Testament too to help us understand him better. And here it's to help us really truly know his strength. And and so his mighty arm... We picture a strong, thick, muscled arm that would beat anybody in an arm wrestling contest. It's saying God can crush his enemies. We read he scatters the proud in their inmost thoughts. He scatters the proud. You know, every once in a while, uh, you read about a corrupt or arrogant, powerful person or institution in our world. Uh, Think of an institution, I think of of the financial crisis. You read about a a corrupt, powerful institution that that crashes in our world. It happens, and it's sort of brought down from their throne. And we we tend to look, you know, for, for financial, political, economic explanations for these things. But you know what? Our Almighty God is in charge. He is at work. And and this Scripture tells us He will scatter the proud. And He does. Certainly He will at the end of time. But also, His judgment can and does come in history. The proud will fall before the might of our God sooner or later. He brings down rulers. He lifts up the humble, filled the hungry, sent the rich away empty, there are these contrasts, lifting up, bringing down, filling, emptying. With his might, God turns things upside down. He sets wrongs right. He destroys the wrong things in our culture that people value and take comfort in. And instead, his kingdom values will prevail in the end, these contrasting values have to do with the struggle between God and the devil, good and evil, light and darkness. Ephesians 6.12 says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world. The might of God is what can break the powers of this world and the devil and sin. I, I sometimes, and, and maybe you have this sometimes too, I have a day where I'm, I'm dragging, I'm struggling, and you know, in these, these days, these last weeks leading up to my surgery, that's, that's a week from tomorrow, I've had days uh, as it's getting closer where, where I've struggled, and I felt a weight, and like there's a cloud over my head, and and, and I think we all have that. When, when those feelings happen, when, when we, we feel not right, 
days going to... I think the first thing we think of is, well, how much sleep did I get last night? Um, am I out of my exercise routine? If you've got one, I don't claim to have a very good one. Um, you think of, well, the amount of work that's on our plate and, and our job stress and the other pressures in life that we're going through, that we all have. And those are all factors in how we feel. But you know what? There's another dimension to things. Satan is out to get us as children of God. There's spiritual warfare, and we can't forget that. He doesn't want me as a pastor to lead this church in God's Word and in God's ways. He doesn't want us to be successful parents or spouses or Christian workers or or, or loving friends who love and accept others as Christ does. He doesn't want us to do any of those things. He's working hard against God, and He's working against us who belong to God. Don't ever doubt it. That, and that, that's kind of scary. Spiritual warfare is real. It's intense. There are powers fighting us, and that's going on in your heart, in your life, in all of us. But God is mighty, friends. He is. He has the power to deal with all this, to destroy sin and evil and, and lift us up as we depend on Him. You know, Paul says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong in Him, and it's because He's mighty. L, E-L, is really the first and primary name of God in the Old Testament. And it's the Hebrew word for God. And it means literally the heart of that word for God, main word of God is the strong one. That's our God. He's strong. He's mighty. Do not fear. You know, his might extends to our own pride and the sin and the rebellion in our own hearts and lives. You know, we talk about God's irresistible grace that God will save those He intends to save. Thank the Lord he's, he's mighty enough to save us not only from what's out there, but He's mighty enough to save us from our own rebellions and our own issues that we got. He will subdue sin in us by His power. He'll be faithful to complete that work in you by His irresistible grace. Christ living within us is a testimony that despite our failures in sin, God's arm is holding us fast and will keep us too. Second, we magnify God because He is merciful. Because we have Christ within us, we magnify God for His mercy. Verse 48, His mercy extends to those who fear Him. There's something missing in our translation, and I, I feel like I had a sermon that, that said something wasn't quite as good as it could be in the NIV recently, and I don't like to make a habit of it, but if it's true, I'm going to point it out. This isn't a, well, it's not a huge deal, but I, in another sense it is. In, um, what did I say the verse was? 48. No, no, it's not 48. Is mercy, what is it? Uh -huh, okay, his mercy, thank you. I had in my notes the wrong verse, and then I'm like, what? 
Okay, his mercy extends to those exactly. Thank you that someone's paying attention. It's missing in our translation, but there's supposed to be an and there at the beginning of 50 of our sentence. And his mercy extends to those who fear him. I think that's a pretty important and because it comes out of, it's flowing out of, it's connected to the previous verse, which is 49, where it talks about God's might. and he, So God is mighty, holy is his name. And then we get, and his mercy. And his mercy. That needs to be said because if we only had his might and his holiness, we'd be in trouble. We'd be destroyed. But his attributes don't stop with the might, thankfully. And we can add, and, and he's merciful. It's because of his mercy that Jesus was born. It's why he willingly laid aside his glory and humbled himself. Because God saw us in our need, our misery, our guilt, our wretchedness, and he had pity on us. One pastor mentions those verses about God lifting up the humble and filling the hungry, and I thought this was kind of cool, as referring to the two prerequisites to becoming a Christian, a believer. You have to be humble and hungry. Understand your need, desire change. Well, how does it happen that some people are humble and hungry in God's sight and others aren't? If we're honest with ourselves, uh, we who believe we don't have that hunger and humility as much as we know, as much as we feel like we should. But I'm asking, why, why do you have it in any measure at all? A humbleness before God and a hunger for God. Why do you have it in any measure at all that you do? And why is it that not everyone else seems to have it? Well, it's because of God's mercy to you and me. His eye on you, His hand of salvation extending to you, not because of anything you've done, but just because of sheer grace, complete and utter love for you. Why are you here tonight? Well, why why are you a member of a church? Because of God's mercy. How do you have those gifts we talked about this morning of, of hope and endurance and encouragement and unity? Well, it's because of God's mercy. How again can can... You know, Linda Decker and her friends and, and family. How, how can there be comfort? How can there be comfort in eternal life for Jim and, and for themselves? It's all because of the mercy of the Lord. Mercy is his kindness and his goodness. It's very it's connected to grace. Grace tends to be the more general term. Mercy is his grace, his kindness, his goodness, his long suffering, his patience to and with you. You personally. And that leads us to our third point. Uh, We magnify the Lord because He's mindful. Mighty and merciful were actually listed later in the text. And mindful was listed first, but the order of the sermon isn't always the order of the text. Sometimes it seems better to to change that up. So this this is earlier. It's verse 48. This is in verse 48. Because we have the Christ within, we magnify God for His mindfulness. He has been mindful 
of the humble state of his servant, verse 48. And this is related to the word remember that comes up in verse 54 too. Mindful, he remembers us. What a blessing that God is mindful of us. It's true on a very personal level as Mary makes plain. It's also true on a, on a bigger level. We call it a more corporate level. From generation to generation, we read in these verses, he remembered to be merciful to his servant Israel, to Abraham and his descendants forever. When Jesus is in our hearts, it means we're part of the people of God throughout all time. We find our purpose and meaning because we're part of God's plan of redemption to choose a people for his own. Mary talks about Abraham. Think of Abraham. You think of the judges, the prophets. Everything God is communicating to his people is it boils down to I'm mindful of you, my beloved. God's care and mindfulness it culminate in that promise that Isaiah records for the future. Unto you a child is born, a son is given. As one pastor says about this idea of the mindfulness of God that we read in verse 48, the greatness of our God is not revealed in His isolation from us, but in His intimacy with us. That bears keeping in mind because we tend to think of greatness in terms of isolation, right? The more money you get, the longer your driveway becomes, the higher and larger your fences, the more you can kind of be separated from the riffraff, right? The better, like being in first class on an airplane. The more people that you have to go through to reach someone, the more channels you have to go through to reach someone, well, the more powerful person that is. We can't pick up the phone and, and talk to the president. It would be impossible. It was, wow, he's so great. He, he's, we magnify people in a sense. They're magnified in our, in our minds for being isolated. That's the, they're great in our eyes then, but that's not how God is. God's greatness is revealed in his intimacy with us, that he reaches to us, draws us to himself, has a relationship with us. For Mary, it's Jesus' coming that is the ultimate reason for her to magnify him. Jesus' coming within her womb, yes, but it's really about Jesus' coming in her heart. Jesus called Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus in our hearts gives us reason to magnify the Lord too. Would you? Will you? Are you? With our voices, sure. In prayer, yes. In worship together, in our living, in our conversations, in facing adversity, in thankfulness for the blessings. Magnify the Lord for His might, for His mercy, for His mindfulness, all for His people, and even for you, His precious child. Amen.